Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 94 with Hannah Naima McCloskey. Uh, so she is the CEO and founder of Fearless Futures that works with organizations to uh, really do deep learning around their uh, equity and inclusion uh, of their organization. And it was such a great conversation. She's also coming with uh, kind of an international lens uh, to this work, but uh, obviously just a very important uh, current topic, uh, the work that's happening across the country and over the world, uh, long overdue in a lot of uh, regards, but uh, it's so great to see that there is momentum building for it. And uh, I hope that folks listening to this can really apply it to uh, whatever context they're coming from, if you are working on a campus or with them or uh, any other kind of organization. But um, just really appreciate Hannah's perspective and all that she shared and uh, some great resources to check out uh, down in the show notes. So after this brief message from our sponsor, this is bonus episode number 94 with Hannah Naima McCloskey. This episode is sponsored by Degree.me, a one-stop college research tool for students. If you work for a college or university, you'll want to learn all about their ability to connect you with the right students at a budget-friendly price. To find out more, please visit degree.me slash H-E-G. Awesome. So we will go ahead and get started. Uh, Hannah, I appreciate you so much for uh, joining me for the show here. This is another great kind of uh, sort of serendipitous uh, connection that I think is just... Uh, uh, you know, really appreciated by me. I think that's going to be able to garner some uh, really unique insights from the work that you're doing and your team. Uh, so we'll we'll start out as we always do. If you just want to introduce yourself really quickly um, and give kind of a brief overview of your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Thank you, Dustin. And I'm really um, excited to be here as well. So my name is Hannah Naima McCloskey and I'm British Algerian based in London and the founder and CEO of Fearless Futures. Um, and we are an education and consultancy organization. And we like to say that we work with daring companies um, who are you know, ready to actively challenge inequities um, in all of their kind of intersections, their lived realities, and, and, and kind of addressing them at their roots as well. And we do this through equity and inclusion learning experiences in person and virtually, um, given the, the time in which we find ourselves in, and also um, through consultancy, which focuses on, you know, how do we design equitable ecosystems in our companies, both with respect to people and the relationships we have, but also the policies internally and um, in some instances the products that companies are creating as well. And in terms of sort of my um and my professional background, I think it's I've had a varied career actually that that kind of brought me to founding Fearless Futures six years ago now. So we're still we still consider ourselves babies, um, even though we've been around wow. for six years. And I started, I did an English degree for my undergraduate degree um, and shortly thereafter went, um, did an internship working for the United Nations in Jerusalem. Um, and then I did a master's in international relations and economics actually in the US, um, well, with a US university, um, but one year in Italy and then one year in Washington, D.C. Then I was in banking um, and then of all places from investment banking to start an equity and inclusion training organization. So it's it's been a, I'm a jack of all trades in many respects. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I guess um, 
you know, it's always something that I personally like to hear about as somebody who works in higher ed and, you know, it's kind of like a, a one core part, I think, of a lot of people's, uh, you know, kind of uh, origin stories as they were, <laughs> my geeky mm-hmm. brain kind of uh, kind of uh, contextualizes it. But, um, you know, for your college experience, like, do you feel like there's anything that is sort of like really resonant in terms of, you know, things that you did, things that you learned, people that you met um, that still really is kind of serving you today personally and or professionally in the work that you're doing? Yes, I mean, I think um, what my university, what my undergraduate degree did for me, I think, was cement my love of learning, which is fortunate because not everybody necessarily um, has that experience. Um, And it really supported me to, I think, develop the, the a kind of real commitment to rigorous analysis. I did English for my undergraduate degree. Um, and the the system, the supervision system that happens at Cambridge University is one that's um, very much rooted in in having kind of direct contact with professors once a week. You could mm-hmm. write an essay once a week. You um, are with maybe two other people maximum and that professor to meet where they effectively tear apart your thinking it's quite combative (laughs) ultimately it's a kind of adversarial approach to learning but and in that and it might not work for everyone and I know it doesn't I didn't always work for me either but you learn through that method to to fail to get it wrong in your learning to come at things again to be pushed Um, much further in the kind of way that you've initially approached something in the writing that you've done and I think for us in our work today the main that very much is kind of core to the equity and inclusion learning that we bring to people it's very much rooted in sociological scholarship um, the scholarship of black feminists whose analysis is kind of key to the work that we do so I would say you know that love of learning being an educator is is like so powerful and important because what we hope to bring is that um is that curiosity that uh, for others to to kind of engage in inquiry when it comes to the ways in which inequities play out and oppression plays out um, in their working relationships and across their organisations and to really invest their time and energy in deeply understanding these issues. So I'd see that very strongly connected to um, my undergraduate and then kind of graduate studies. Yeah, I mean, and that, that was definitely where my brain was going is just like, um, you know, kind of uh, this being very hard, complex, and sometimes kind of messy work, you know, doing uh, kind of inclusion and equity work, and uh, but continuing to kind of press onward, always forward, always trying to improve, and um, you know that kind of segueing to yeah the work you're doing now, and just you know if we can kind of dive in a little bit deeper with that, because I know um, and it was really great to hear that you know you're both kind of. Uh, you know, maybe doing, you know, these workshops and they might just be like a one-off thing for, um, you know, just individuals or organizations, but also trying to kind of uh, help build kind of the internal capacity to be more inclusive in these organizations. Because I think that is sometimes like criticism as a company tries to like kind of just pat themselves on the back where they're like, yeah. well, we brought in a speaker once and, you know, they, they kind of fixed everything, quote unquote, you know, like, yeah. but if it's like, no, this is like a lot, this is a long-term, you know, this is a huge commitment that needs to be made and a lot needs to be done you know, certainly if it's like an older, you know, organization that's been around for maybe like, you know, decades and stuff, they might need to like really be, you know, trying to highlight some of their uh, kind of antiquated ways that are not being 
uh, you know, inclusive to like recruiting, you know, uh, diverse populations or, you know, retaining them and having them be satisfied and that sort of thing. So I guess, yeah, if you want to talk about kind of, you know, how you navigate those things of kind of those, you know, the workshops, the ongoing kind of consultative work and just like mm. what kind of like keeps you engaged and motivated, because obviously this could be obviously just very hard draining work and stuff at times. So, you know, what kind of continues to sort of uh, nourish you as you uh, commit yourself to this work? Yeah, I mean, it's that is a those are some great questions. And I think you're you've kind of really um, hit the nail on the head, Dustin, because a lot of people um, approach um, inclusion training as a band aid. Um, and as a way that they can just sort of absolve themselves, they can like see it mm-hmm. at appointment. They're like, but we've done the 60 minute training and then all has kind of disappeared. We strongly um, resist that tendency and really see training as the as the starting point, not the end destination. So education for us in the way that we conceive of our training should leave you with more questions than answers. Um, because it should be giving you frameworks to really interrogate the world around you. Now, obviously, we have the kind of schema in which we're operating, but not everybody that comes to us is necessarily aligned with that. And so we try to be as um, robust as we can um, in terms of not necessarily working with everybody that wants that might get in touch with us in the first instance, um, mm-hmm. but also being really clear about our pedagogical approach and our pedagogical integrity. So some people might come to us and say, well, um, you know, we'd love a 25 minute, you know, talk. Now, it, we we just would never agree to do it. And there are times very early on for us as an organisation where we might have conceived of that and been like, gosh, you know, we didn't have any clients when you start. Um, but, but we've always tried to be really... Um, determined in and being ambitious actually for people that get in touch with us to kind of take them further than perhaps the horizon that they're at and then we also meet that with knowing that people need to start somewhere as well um and that there we can't be responsible for everybody else's commitment to this but we can support them where they're at and get them on get them going and hopefully with the the challenge provocation and kind of depth of inquiry that we offer them in our workshops that they will be provoked to go further whether it's to work with us or whether it's to kind of build out their capacity in other ways our commitment is to ultimately be redundant as an organization not one that you know goes on and on and on otherwise we've probably failed Mm -hmm. substantially which is unlike other organizations who perhaps you know want to always be in need we want people to have that internal capacity exactly as you said um but to kind of move to your um you know the kind of the the follow-on question of you know what is it like to do this work I mean I think it's a real honor to be able to engage with people in the kind of deep learning that we do in particular in programs that are our kind of longer more established or kind of not necessarily more established but deeper programs like our design for inclusion program that's three days and I think it's I find it to be a real honor to get to be with people as they do learning um I think when you're when you're doing deep learning it's a very vulnerable process you know um to kind of allow yourself not to know things and to do so in public I think takes a lot so I always um come 
as best I can with the spirit of generosity when I'm facilitating myself, but also when we're kind of thinking about people on their various journeys. Um, and I do that, you know, within the context of my sort of paid role. Obviously, there there might be times when you feel frustrated that people aren't engaging with things that, the way that they should. But as an educator, um, myself and my team try and really come with a lot of compassion and generosity for people as they fumble through challenging topics that are confronting that perhaps they didn't want to acknowledge or see in themselves that they didn't want to be a part of and what it means to kind of engage and grapple with that very very deeply so for me I'm I actually get very energized when I I don't facilitate as much as I used to but when I do um I'm very energized by the experience and feel very um yeah, grateful to be able to do this kind of um, deep and transformative work with people and that there that there are people who are open and courageous enough to kind of embark on those journeys. Yeah, I can imagine that's really like resonant as like, yeah, like just seeing someone trying, you know, because that means like they're kind of earnestly, you know, willing to put in the work and those sort of things. And yeah, it might be imperfect and yeah, kind of fumbling and those sort of things. But, um, you know, it being really uh, that is just like a really positive step because I think w- my brain is kind of clicking in a lot with like kind of the concepts of like inertia and momentum, you know, like so many people in terms of their viewpoints on race or any of these things, like they're just stuck in sort of like an inertia of what maybe, mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, they think that they're sort of, you know, more progressive and they're like, oh no, you know, I only, I don't even see race or the, you know, any of these sort of like adages that get thrown around a lot and they think that they're kind of more enlightened than they actually are and not realizing kind of the all kind of systemic nature of, uh, you know, the racist uh, society that especially in America we live in and, you know, the whole history and everything. So, you know, I think it is like, you know, both on kind of the individual level and on the organizational level, I can imagine, um, you know, you're really, really trying to work towards getting that snowball starting to roll mm-hmm. so that it eventually gets to a point where it's just like, nope, yeah, we can't stop. You know, we got, we've got this going right. and, you know, policies are being made and, you know, they're just really enacting an entire you know, I love that uh, the word choice there of like the ecosystem, like it's all kind of just evolving and, yeah. you know, uh, kind of almost like happening on its own that like people are keeping each other honest and like being cognizant of their own word choice. And then just like, you know, there's pay equity and all these, all these, you know, really important things that, um, you know, far past overdue. But, you know, thankfully, I think, you know, kind of segueing to my next question of like this current moment, I feel like just at large, we're starting, I think, to kind of break through that inertia, which again, is, is just far past overdue. But, you know, I guess what to you just kind of anecdotally, like, you know, um, you know, maybe in terms of like, either like the, uh, if organizations are coming to you to want to work in a more deep way or anything, mm-hmm. but like, what do you think about this current moment? Like, it, how is it feeling so much more relevant and maybe like visceral on your end of being able to perhaps be more welcomed in to be doing this work or anything, I guess, yeah, like what comes to mind that, in that way of like, what's making this work feel so much more relevant now? Obviously, we know that there's sort of a, a catalyst of, uh, you know, police violence and those sort of things, which I think has, you know, kickstarted it a lot recently. But um, yeah, I guess just any thoughts on kind of this current moment and how it's kind of shaping the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, there has definitely been heightened activity. I mean, I think it was very public, Um, heightened activity from many corporations who for the first time probably were um, acknowledging the ways in which, and they might have not used these words, but were being confronted um, with the ways in which anti-Black racism plays out in the world and also their potential participation in that 
I don't know whether they necessarily ever saw themselves concretely, which is why I use the word potential. I, I would say that, you know, to the extent that, you know, that, that more often than not, they probably were. Um, but I think that there's something it's, you know, it's really, it's one of these very difficult things because of course the, um, the violence of anti-black racism is over 400 years old. And so mm-hmm. there's a tension there between um, large institutions, more often than not, white-led, majority white leadership, um, sort of having their moment of awakening. But then on the other hand, you know, what what did it take? You know, what cost um, was there in that process um, for them to have that moment of reckoning and I think that's a real tension and 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 you know and is an uncomfortable one is it right to see some you know people fighting for their freedom effectively black people fighting for their freedom globally taking to the streets to demand um to demand what is rightfully theirs should that be required for institutions to reflect on the ways in which they participate within these violent systems ideally not and yet at the same time it's obviously been an awakening so I think there's it's very difficult to say one way or the other certainly there's been a lot of reactive um, knee-jerk responses and I think what we need to attend to is who's still paying attention when this goes out of the headlines Mm -hmm. who's still going to continue like who's using the moment that what's happened over the last six weeks not not the moment as in who's using this kind of powerful time to really do begin doing the work and who's just done it to kind of get people off their backs and is going to revert to you know some sense of normal and I think we need to see what emerges like are people still you know writing press releases about it in six more weeks I don't know um I I'm sure that there will be companies that really take this um, time to to think very um, carefully about what they're doing and, and really go into some very deep, interrogative, reflective internal work and what that means externally as well. And and I think that's we you know that's a, a good thing and it's a shame it's taken them longer, right? Um, but they're there, where, but they've eventually got there. So I think we've been we've tried not to res- kind of indulge people's knee-jerk reactions and have really urged people to kind of think about where their true commitment is and to kind of and to spend some time in that and the discomfort because one of the things that's also a kind of mechanism of whiteness and white supremacy is this kind of very urgent need to fix things um rather than perhaps sit with the discomfort of what it means to be participating within it in the first instance and i think that's something that um is also a kind of interesting space to kind of reckon with yeah at some point but to do so in a way that kind of honors the the long-term goal yeah because i think that we see that so much of like you know even just in the odd moments of like you know a, a scandal hits an organization and they're like okay you know mm. never will happen again and those sort of things it's just generally the idea of like you know the stuff that certain organizations are doing right now around inclusion work like it's not brave it's like just like that's what you should have been doing all along you right. know like and that sort of idea of yeah they're just kind of like taking this opportunity where you know kind of everybody's on the side of sort of like doing what they're doing versus it being like yeah you're doing it when it would be kind of you know, yeah, like weeks, months from now, 
you're like showcasing kind of maybe like the messy progress you've been doing in terms of pay equity in your organization or something, you know, and it's right. like, wow, that's actually like really brave to be transparent about like, you know, this took a long time. It was actually like, you know, a very sort of like, I don't know, emotionally jarring where you're realizing like, wow, we have like awesome people on our team and we like just, you know, kind of were aloof to the fact of that we were, you know, uh, having this huge, you know, equity gap in terms of pay and certain things like that. Like that would be refreshing and that would be kind of, mm-hmm. you know, more than like, you know, I don't know. So, cause it's like any of the things in terms of like changing names of things and all that, it's like, cool. Okay. What else are you doing? Like that's every time I see that, I'm like, awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. That's like one little piece of the puzzle of like, you know, systemic racism that you have this, like, you know, like the mascots and the names of teams and all that. And it's like, cool. Okay. Yeah. What's next? Like, what else are you doing? You know? Um, so yeah, it, it's, it is interesting. Cause I think, yeah, everybody wants to kind of prove like, Hey, look, see, cool. You know, we're, we're not, you know, uh, yeah, we're not the bad ones. <laughs> yeah um so yeah it, that's i think it's definitely the tension of like okay yeah you're kind of just being reactive and doing what you feel like you have to right now so like mm-hmm. you know not kind of like overly celebrating some you know if you come in to like help you know consult with an organization or do a workshop it's kind of like you know I'm just, they might be looking for like yeah like you know we're, we're so great we're so you know progressive or so this is like no yeah let's, let's just get get to the necessary overdue work here and let's you know uh, that sort of thing it's right. like this is going to be hard and uncomfortable so let's like not get too grandiose about you know what we're doing here like it, certainly it's large in the sense of its importance and necessity but like i don't know i can imagine maybe like some of that vibe sometimes is like yeah that that that, that is more what they're looking for is sort of like the the pr blitz of like look at us we did a inclusion workshop or something and it's like no 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 no. <laughs> like that, that's not what this is all about um, um and i mean i think sort of confronting and grappling with what it means to kind of fail in doing this work is in part the kind of definition of accountability in in the same breath because to be accountable means to be responsible for the kind of outcomes that you've been a part of and the idea that there is some perfection that is possible to achieve when it comes to cancelling out and disrupting and interrupting the harm that is systemic like it would be it's just misdiagnosing the way these issues manifest in reality to think that there's some that an organization is starting from a point of perfection we're you know we do this work day in and day out and support other organizations and we have to also continue to do the, the you know the the regular interrogation of our own practices and are always finding further areas where we've done something one way and it hasn't been in service of equity for our trans colleagues for example and therefore we we've needed to adapt to change um and it's funny because lots of people have come up and they said can you do you do audits we want to do an audit to know where we're at and our response is always well doing inclusion and equity work is continuous auditing of the way that you're being all the time there isn't a one-off moment um that that will that will get you there and you can then say we've we've done our audit you've got to you've got to have that capacity internally to be in continuous audit you've got to be a continuous auditor of yourself and the ways that you're kind of engaging with all of this absolutely um well i think that that definitely moves on to like uh, the piece that i want to talk about next is kind of like those outcomes because i think like I'm sure, you know, there's the reticence in organizations to like overly, you know, and again, I'm, the word choice here is implying that, it, you know, um, I don't know, not worth the investment, but like the, the perception from perhaps, you know, leadership of different organizations would be like, okay, well, we don't want to overly invest in this, you know, we'll 
yeah, do a workshop one off or whatever, um, because it seems that it might not be, you know, bringing in any return on that uh, investment. But I am absolutely certain that obviously there is, uh, you know, uh, really positive outcomes that come from this. And they may have, you know, they're probably just not measuring them uh, in the right way and that sort of thing. So, you know, and the work that you're doing and, you know, if there is any kind of just good anecdotal examples that you have of just like the value of these inclusion practices happening and being obviously an ongoing long-term commitment. How do you sort of, if you had, I don't know if you do, maybe like if you kind of have to, you know, negotiate where it's like, no, this is worth the cost. This is what it can kind of bring as a benefit to your organization. Like how do you sort of, you know, um, maybe like have those sort of dialogues with organizations if they are um, grappling with those sort of things. I'm just curious, I guess, how it sort of like fits in 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 your brain. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, Dustin, because we, um, we tend not to kind of indulge people in the idea that there should be some sort of business benefit for engaging mm. in doing inclusion and equity work. And the reason being that it's really sort of counterintuitive, if we kind of think about it in another angle, to say that I, as somebody who doesn't experience an oppression, but is within the kind of overarching hierarchy of an organisation, should be able to benefit by, you know, honouring somebody else's humanity. Like, it's just a very bizarre framing. Right. But not oh, Because, of course, the starting point is that you're already, if you don't experience that oppression, you're already benefiting, by definition, from a system that uplifts your needs, desires, wants, safety, and so on at the expense of another group. So to then say, but I need further benefit, I need additional benefit from from doing from doing what is really just correcting historical harm and the ways it plays out in the present is something that we try and surface for folks and say, you know, th- if we... In- kind of engage in this narrative of how you benefit we haven't actually disrupted the the kind of the very underlying schema here so we we kind of veer away from that what we do obviously need to show and what we do care about is what people do go on and do after our programs and I think you know that's obviously we want people to move into action that's in service of equity so we are you know fully supportive of that and our programs are designed to give people um those frameworks tools and skills to precisely do that so for example um in in europe we have often in very large organizations they might have um a regional a cluster called EMEA, which stands for Europe, Middle East and Africa. And what normally happens in those setups is that the Middle East and Africa are actually subordinate to Europe, which of course is a very classic colonial dynamic where everyone who's kind of um, responsible for the regions of France or Germany or, you know, the Nordics or the UK um, has kind of one area of focus and the and the concerns and needs of the business related to the Middle East and Africa are kind of subordinate and secondary so now it might not feel like a very a very big deal to say well you know a senior leader has restructured their entire leadership framework in order to equalize or or make more equitable the way that power is engaged with at that level but that's a that's it actually takes a lot of work to get people to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of um, deep analysis around the ways in which racism and colonialism play out in our organisational structures. 
And of course, the outcome is creating greater space and distribution of power for regions that otherwise are, as I said, kind of subordinated. And that is a very important outcome, you know, if we're thinking about this very kind of holistically in our organisations. So that's an example. Now, I wish it was quicker to get to that point than the three days design for inclusion programme, for example. But that's the level of, um, that's, people need to have real depth to end up coming to these conclusions and to also then have the the requisite skills in order to make the case for their peers as to for example as to why that should then be the case yeah that's a far better way to to look at this because yeah i wasn't sure like just like framing this question, I guess, yeah, I'm just sort of like, well, you know, like the value to adding, you know, the value out of these inclusion practices, like, yeah, maybe you have to capture it in sort of like a, you know, an ROI framework, but like, no, absolutely. It's like kind of just like doing it because it's the right thing to do mm. and just like building, you know, trust in your organization and just sort of like safety and those sort of things. And, you know, yeah, not, not doing it so that you can, because uh, I guess it made me think of just like, well, yeah, it's like the, probably, you know, these like, rich people who are just like, well, I only donate to charity so I can write it off on my taxes or whatever. It's like, so what you right, yeah, you don't even care like where you donate or like right. what, what is done with anything. What you're just sort of like, it's like, well, no, yeah, I'm only doing this so that I can like, you know, yeah, like get people off my back or something or, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, no, it should be like a more existential kind of values driven. It's like, this should be right. important to your organization. This should be important to your leadership and you should be, you know, um, mm-hmm. kind of showing that through your actions um, of how you uh, integrate, you know, these practices into your organization. So um, that was a very good <laughs> kind of like check on myself in this of just like, well, yeah, that's where my brain went first of like, yeah. oh no, yeah, it could be like dollars and cents and retention of employees and this th- sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that'll all happen. But like, if you, yeah, you don't want to almost like entertain that or sort of get like sucked into that black hole. Yeah, um, it really exactly. should be. Uh, Resist yeah. that black hole. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's great. I, I really appreciate that. So then, because I think it really is, I mean, you're highlighting this and I think a really like meaningful and kind of values driven way versus it being, you know, cost benefit analysis and this other, the other thing. So like, what other advice maybe would you give just really, you know, the people who are, um, you know, uh, trying to do better on maybe an individual, if you want to take it either way or both, I guess I'm thinking of like advice for the individual, just trying to be a better human kind of thing. And then also, you know, these organizations that are trying to, yeah, I mean, make really meaningful uh, long-term changes and stuff, just kind of any like kind of advice that you would give is that might just be kind of little seeds that might grow, you know, into kind of, uh, you know, um, different things, but yeah, any, any advice you kind of give on maybe both like kind of micro and macro level. I think the, the, the advice that I would give is to really, you know, there is scholarship on this is wide ranging and has been in place for a long time. And you might not find it in traditional corporate contexts, um, like the Harvard Business Review, which does do a lot of very good stuff. But I would really encourage people to look to the sociologists and social sciences um, to find the people who are speaking about the ways in which these systems of oppression um, operate. So I always feel that you know, I I read very, very heavily around this area. And if reading isn't for you, you know, YouTube is a fantastic resource of so many um, panels. There are podcasts around all sorts of topics from um, that that cover the range of oppressions that people experience that I think are really worth people um, engaging with. 
because it's those perspectives that come from, in particular, the lived experience of those who who are living within sites of oppression, but also the um, scholarship and the academic work coming from, in particular, you know, black feminists that a lot of our work is rooted in, such as Kimberly Crenshaw and, and Bell Hooks, that I think is so powerful and rich in supporting us to have really robust frameworks for the ways in which these issues operate. And I think grappling with the, with that material and really, and, and kind of slowing down rather than wanting a quick fix and kind of going to the source in lots of these cases, I think is hugely, hugely important. And often people jump over it because of this tendency to want to come up with a solution without necessarily thinking about, well, what does this solution potentially perpetuate some of the very ideas and dynamics of oppression in the first place? Because that's something we always want to be holding front and center. So for me, it's, it's, it's go back to the source keep doing the reading, never stop doing the reading or the listening or the or the or the YouTubing of people who have spent, you know, decades and decades um, theorizing and practicing the very principles that we want to be bringing into our organizations if we're kind of honoring um, equitable ways of doing things. So for me, you know, I bell hooks changed my life um, when I read teaching to transgress, um, you know, maybe a decade ago now. Um, and she, uh, you know, it was just hugely, hugely profound. And I highly recommend people pick up her, her writing um, because she is such she's such an accessible academic. Um, but her concepts are so challenging and, and profoundly confronting as well. Um, so I would always say go start with bell hooks and then build up from there because um, she she has insights that we can all benefit from, whether it's at an organisational practice level, um, kind of it, and extrapolating from there or kind of looking at the interpersonal. Hmm. Great. Yeah, that's, uh, um, that's awesome. And I think, yeah, I mean, if there's any other um, things that come to mind of just like, uh, you know, a small handful of resources in addition to, um, you know, the work of Bell Hooks, like if you, if you want to recommend really quick, like, any uh, particular podcast or YouTube channels or um, any other books that uh, we could just kind of build out uh, some kind of uh, homework in the show notes here for folks to check out. So anything else come to mind that you'd want to make sure that you kind of emphasize uh, specifically? Um, great question. Um, I highly recommend the podcast series from Seen on Radio called Seeing White. Um, it's just, it's truly magnificent and it basically takes people on a journey um located in the context of the United States, of the ways in which race came to be, to be honest, starting in the early um, 17th century. It's phenomenal and fantastic. Um, I would also say there's a fantastic podcast called um, Disability Visibility, um, which is all about the disabled experience and and, and kind of wider um, kind of cultural phenomena. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big podcast fan, actually. Um, and then I would also say that Throughline from NPR is another great podcast series. Um, and they have a whole range of brilliant um, episodes. And um, there's one that's on specifically on Puerto Rico that I really, um, really enjoyed and about the kind of American colonial present and legacy and kind of histories um, in Puerto Rico, which is another another huge um I found hugely valuable as well. 
Awesome. Well, hey, nothing better than talking about podcasts on a podcast. So <laughs> I, I love it. Um, just, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the medium as well. So it's, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll probably be checking some of those out as well. Um, so yeah, then we'll wrap up here. Just any kind of final thoughts, anything that you'd want to sort of um, just really kind of emphasize, reinforce anything else. Um, I'll obviously have ways to, uh, you know, connect with you and your organization, the work that you're doing and, you know, the stuff that you mentioned uh, in this episode down in the show notes. But yeah, just any other final thoughts to wrap up the episode with? Final thoughts, I think, would simply be for anyone who is kind of embarking on doing inclusion and equity work in their organization or wanting to um, center it in their um, personal relationships and their working relationships is just to kind of emphasize, go back to the source, um, whether it's the podcast or the YouTube videos or the reading um, and, and, you know, and be comfortable with sitting in that discomfort as you engage in inquiry, knowing that you will move to action. Um, and then also be, um, be ready to be imperfect at this. I don't think there is a perfect way of um, challenging oppressions in all the very many ways that they show up. Um, and, you know, living within a site of privilege in relation to various oppressions means that by definition, you will be getting it wrong and there will be failure. And that that's, that is what it is to kind of do, do the work. Um, so getting back on the horse, as it were, is the very is the very act of kind of being accountable in in these contexts and um and 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 recommitting to doing better next time absolutely that's uh great stuff and uh just really appreciate you uh sharing your insights and your experience and um obviously just such relevant and important stuff right now and I'm so glad that we could uh take some time to talk about it on the podcast here so uh yeah thank you so much for your time thank you very much dustin appreciate it Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.